Well, there's uh, lots of Mark Twain stories out there. I'm not sure how many of them are actually true. I just try to put that disclaimer on as many as my preacher story as, as possible. Um, but it is said that Mark Twain was on one of his trips with his wife to the Holy Land, and they were staying there um, in, at, at Tiberias on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And it was a nice, clear evening, and and Twain wanted to treat his wife to a special evening, so they went to go see if they could take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. So they go down there and inquire and ask whether or not the, the, the owner of this boat would give them a ride, and they ask for a price, and he looks at them, and, and Twain is in his uh, typical white outfit with white, cat, white cowboy hat, and, and the guy thinks, okay, this is an American. I can get something out of this. And so he says it's $25 for this, this boat ride. And so Twain turns and, and takes his wife and and they start walking away, not willing to pay the price. And it is said that it, they were overheard saying, well, I guess we know why Jesus walked on water. <laughs> so, we'll see. I don't know. So today we're going to talk about Jesus walking in water. And I don't think that's quite why Jesus walked on water. I don't think it was the boat price, but Jesus walked on water. And so we're going to focus in on this story. If you're visiting with us, we are in a series titled The Story. We're going through this resource that gives us a good overview from Genesis to Revelation of the story of God. And, and it's divided up into chapters for easy reading, and we are on chapter 24. And we're kind of doing a six-week mini-series here on the story of Jesus. And so if you're visiting with us, if you don't have a copy of this, we'd love for you to pick one of these up on your way out at the table in the foyer. Take one of those as our gift, and you can get a reading guide as well and follow along with us. We're in chapter 24, and we're looking at Jesus as no ordinary man. The chapter really focuses on Jesus' teachings and Jesus' miracles, both things that really set him apart. Things that made him someone who was extraordinary, not ordinary at all. And so the first thing we look at is Jesus is this authoritative teacher. Now, since I got here, we've spent a lot of time looking at Jesus and Jesus's life and Jesus's teachings. And we looked at Jesus and his use of parables Parables was really his popular teaching method where he would tell these stories, these stories that, that would paint a picture for the people to, to learn some sort of truth, some sort of understanding of what it meant to be in the kingdom of God. And so in the fall, we went through the Gospel of Mark and looked at several of these parables, so we're not going to dissect very many of them or look at them with any depth. But the parables were something that were used to communicate some sort of imp important spiritual truth. And they weren't just visual aids. They weren't just something very easy to follow. Often these parables had multiple layers and multiple understandings and, and different messages to different types of people. And so he would communicate several things at once by using these parables. They were more than just visual aids. They were multi-layered. And you really had to dig into the parables to really understand the truths of the kingdom, the truths of the kingdom of God, to really be able to pull what was being said out of these parables. When Jesus uses parables, he's teaching us about what it means to have life in the kingdom of God. It's not just a simple concept. It's something that goes so much deeper than that. 
It's a mystery that requires investigation to really go in and understand. And so there are parables in this chapter, like a farmer who is sowing seed without abandon. It doesn't matter where the seed goes. It can go on a rough path. It can go in rocky places. It can go in good soil. But it's without abandon. Or maybe it's the story of a shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go find that one lost sheep. He'll leave everything to go find another one. Or the woman who just tears apart her house to find that one lost coin, the most important of all treasures she will sacrifice everything for. Or maybe it's the father who eagerly awaits the arrival of his wayward son, this prodigal son, that he's going to wait in anticipation. And when that son shows up, he's going to throw a party. Or maybe it's the story of a Samaritan who is along on, the, on a walk and, and along the road and finds somebody that is, is broken and beaten and spends the money and the time to care for this person, regardless of the racial differences or the eth- ethnic differences. They're going to care for them. And so this, these stories really give us a vision for the nature of God, who God is. He's one who pursues us, one who longs for us, one who desires us, one who wants the lost ones saved and shows us what it looks like to be in God's kingdom. But Jesus didn't just teach parables. He also taught in sermons as well. And we also spent a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount and looking at, at Jesus' lessons for life to us. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5-7, through 7, and Jesus is redefining what it means to live life in the kingdom. It's not what you thought it was. It is a new way of being. He turns the religious establishment upside down and says this is what it means to live in the kingdom of God. This is what it means to be a citizen in God's new world. And so it's not a sermon on just how to behave. It's a sermon that brings a focus in on the love of God and the call for us to love others. The sermon deals with very practical things, things like anger and division and lust and integrity and revenge, dealing with our enemies, living for the approval of others, prayer, faith, money, wealth, anxiety, fear, judging others, discerning the character of people, It's a sermon full of so much practical truth for us. And so chapter 24 of the story has some pieces of that sermon as well. But Jesus in his teaching really stands apart and caught the attention of the people around him because he was teaching in a new way. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And so Jesus is teaching with a new authority. He's teaching in a way that is drawing attention from the religious establishment, bad attention from the religious establishment, and is attracting followers, because they see something different in Jesus and the way he teaches. And so as we look at the ministry of Jesus, we see Jesus as this authoritative teacher. 
He is one who has, has this authority to speak into our lives and to speak truth to us. And this is the Jesus that we follow. But we also see a very different side of Jesus as well. We see Jesus as the miracle worker. He is one who can do some amazing things. In this chapter, in the, in the parts that we read here, he calms a storm, he drives out demons, he raises people from the dead, he heals people from lifelong diseases and handicaps, he feeds thousands on just a boy's sack lunch. He does some incredible things. And then he walks on water. He defies all laws of nature, and he walks out on water. And that's where we're going to spend our time this morning, looking at this episode of Jesus walking on water. So let's look at Matthew 14, verse 22. If you want to turn there, it's on page 348 of the story, or Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. When those who were in the boat, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And so as we read through this story, it's pretty easy to focus on the storm that the disciples are in. They are, they are in this boat, and the waves are crashing in on them. Things are not going well. And so there's that part of the story. But there's also this part of the story where Jesus is in his own storm. Jesus had just heard that his good friend, John the Baptist, has been executed. He is under attack by the political leaders and the religious leaders. And so Jesus finds himself in his own storm. Things are not going so well for him. And he tries to find a way to retreat and a, a time to be away with his father. And the crowds keep coming. And they don't allow him to have the space that he's looking for. We talked in our series on, on Mark how the crowds were, there was this weird relationship between the crowds and Jesus. And, and Jesus didn't want the crowds around at first. He was really trying to focus his attention on the disciples. But the crowds continued to come and want more and more from him. And so Jesus is grieving the loss of this friend and, and he's trying to go through that process. But then the crowds keep coming to the point that they need to be fed and cared for. And so he feeds the 5,000 men plus women and children. 
You know, in our tradition, if, if you are in a time of loss, if you are having a funeral, people bring you food, right? And people are caring for your needs. And here Jesus is caring for the needs of the people around him. He's in his storm, but he is caring for the people around him anyway. And so he tries to retreat again and sends the disciples in the boat across the lake so that he can have some time for himself and time between him and God. And so Jesus is in this storm, and it's in that context that the disciples find themselves in this really bad situation. It is, it is this time where they are in a boat again. They've already experienced this once before, and Jesus came along and, and quieted the storm, right? And so now here we are in a boat again, in another storm with the waves crashing in, but Jesus isn't even there. And who sent them on the boat into the water to start with? Jesus. Jesus sent them there, and here they are in this storm, sent by Jesus. And it's, it's, a, it's a body of water that's no wider than, than four miles. Um, in, our, in our elders' meeting this morning, before the meeting started, we were talking about what constitutes a lake and a pond, and how standards are very different depending on what part of the country you're in. You know, a lake here in New Mexico, you can see the other side. In other places, not so much. And so here, here's this lake that's four miles wide. It's not this huge space to go across. And these are professional fishermen. They know boats and they know water and they're trying to get across, but it's taking them all night to get across. They should have been there by now and they're, they're stuck there and they're in this storm. They know the water, they know how to navigate this, but things are not working for them. And it's probably about three or six, between three and six in the morning. The, the other gospel accounts of this Describe it as, as, as a time where it's early in the morning. It's that, that last watch of the night. And so here they are trying to get across. There's no place to turn. There's no relief. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and, and he comes to them, not in another boat, but he comes to them walking on water. And this is a bizarre scene, right? If you have grown up with this story, if you've heard this story multiple times, it's easy to get past, or it's easy to forget how weird it is, right? Jesus is walking on water, and they're terrified. They're terrified at the violence of the storm, but they're also terrified at this being that is walking toward them on water. And he says this to them, Take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Is that Jesus' message to us? Take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. And this phrase, it is I, it is I, is really this, this Greek phrase, I am. I am. Take courage. I am, don't be afraid. Now, do we remember another time where we hear this phrase, I am? I am is how God refers to himself when he encounters Moses in the burning bush. I am. When you go to Pharaoh and they ask who sent you, I am sent you. And so Jesus says to the disciples in the boat, take courage, I am. This is God that is speaking. Don't be afraid. And Peter, for some strange reason, we love Peter, right? He, he has great stories. And for some reason, Peter has this 
presence of mind or this idiocy, I'm not sure which, who says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out onto the water. So, so Peter sees Jesus walking on water in the storm, and he says, hey, if it's really you, I'm going to test this by you telling me to get out on the water and walk as well. I think I would have come up with a different strategy. Like, if it's really you, Jesus, why don't you make the storm stop? We've already seen that happen, right? But instead, if it's you, let me walk out on the water and drown. But this is what Peter is doing. And, and, and I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know if it's incredible faith or incredible confidence. But he asked Jesus to call him out, and Jesus does. Jesus says, Come. Jesus calls Peter to step out in faith, out into the water, and come toward him. And Peter takes that step out of the boat, and, and Peter actually takes steps and walks on water. Peter walks on water. Jesus is not the only one in this story who does this miraculous thing until Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus. He sees the storm around him, and then he sinks. And Jesus comes in and rescues him, picks him up, and takes him into the boat. So this is just an incredible story. This story of faith. This story of miracle. This story of Jesus and, and his encounter with the disciples. And so we've got a couple lessons to learn from it. First, Jesus is an extraordinary friend. I think we tend to think of Jesus in, in one of two ways. One, we think of him as someone who is all-powerful. He's God. He's the Son of God. He, he is unattainable, untouchable, unapproachable. Jesus is so far from the reality of where I'm at that he is way over there. And so we view Jesus from a distance. Or maybe we swing to the, the extreme other side and say, Jesus is just my BFF. Like, Jesus is my friend, and we're buddies, and we're going to hang out, and he's not going to challenge me. He's not going to make me change anything. He's not going to make me do anything hard because we're buddies, and we're just going to hang out and have fun. And so we see Jesus as this super friend, but we, or we see Jesus as this supernatural wonder, but we have to be reminded that he's both. That Jesus is an extraordinary friend. He is the Son of God, but he is also our friend. He is able to do miracles and raise people from the dead, and, and he also wants to be in a relationship with me and wants to love on me and care for me. There's no other friend that we can have like Jesus. We, we have this, this cliche statements and songs that we, we sing about Jesus being our friend, but he, he is. But he's so much more. Jesus is so much more than just a cozy friend. He is extraordinary. The, the story of Jesus walking on water reminds us of, of the extraordinary nature of the one that we call our friend. He's amazing. He's not just a friend. He's also the Son of God. But we also see in Jesus that the storms we're in can help us see all that Jesus really is. We can see him for all that he is. 
We find ourselves in storms all the time, right? Some bigger than others. We are, we are in a boat and the things are crashing in on us and things are not going the way we had anticipated. The relationships are not going as well. The marriage is not going as well. The kids are not doing as well. The job is not doing as well. The economy is not doing as well. And things are crashing in around us. And it is in those storms that we can actually see Jesus for who he really is. We get a more complete picture of who he is when we approach him and we see him in the context of our storms. At first, the disciples didn't recognize him. He's far off, and it's, maybe it's a ghost. Who is this creature that is coming towards us on the water? They couldn't identify him. And it isn't until Jesus calls them out, calls Peter out into the water, that they recognize him for who he really is. It's not a ghost. He's not even Jesus. He's the Son of God. The one that they knew as Jesus is more than just Jesus. And it is in the context of this storm that they recognize Jesus for who he really is. He's not just their friend. He's not just Jesus. He's not just a teacher. He is the Son of God. And they recognize him in that storm. But it took the waves and the lightning and the rocking boat to help reveal that to them. To see who it was that they were really following. Storms can actually help us see Jesus more clearly, can help us see who he is in his nature. Our storms can actually be a bridge to a more thorough understanding of who Jesus is. Nahum 1.3 says, His way is in the whirlwinds and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. We see clearer in the storms. And we've seen that, I've seen that in my own life. In the times where things are not going well and I have to focus in on Jesus and not the things are, that are around me, those are the times that my faith is built. Those are the times I can see who Jesus really is. When everything's good, when everything's comfortable, when everything is cozy, it's easy to forget how powerful Jesus really is. A third lesson is seeing Jesus for all he is brings courage and not fear. If I can see who Jesus really is, if I understand that he is not just a friend, but he is the Son of God, if I can see clearly through the storm at who he is, that is not a place of fear. It's a place of courage. It's a place of confidence. Because it's not just some guy. It is the Son of God. It is the Son of God. Jesus tells them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And he tells us, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. In the storm that you're in, in the crisis that you're in, in the troubles that you're in, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And if I can see and be in focus of who Jesus is, then I can take great courage knowing that he's the one who has my back. And he's the one who is in control of the storm. He's the one who sent me there, and he's the one who will free me from it. 
He's the one who calls me out into the water. He's the one who calls me to follow him, to step out in faith, to make the sacrifices. He's the one who calls me there. And if I am faithful in that, I will see Jesus clearer and I will take courage in knowing that he is the one who will carry that plan out. But there's this other character, right? Peter. We love Peter. And Peter, in this story, does some incredible things because I don't think he was dumb for asking this question. I think his faith was amazing. Because what has Peter done up to this point? Where has he been? He's been walking along with Jesus, and what has he seen? He has seen Jesus raise the dead. He has seen Jesus heal. He has seen Jesus exercise demons. He has seen Jesus calm the storm. He has seen Jesus feed the 5,000. Peter has seen Jesus do some pretty incredible stuff. And it is in this context that Peter confidently knows what Jesus is capable of doing. Because he is seen through the storm, he sees who Jesus really is, and he takes courage from that, not fear. And so we know that Jesus empowers us to do what he calls us to do. He gives the strength to do what he calls us to do. Peter's request, remember, he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it's you, because if it is you, I know who you are. I know what you can do. I know the miracles that you've done. If it's you, then I know that you can call me out on this water and you can allow me to walk on this water because I'm confident in who you are. Peter already had these experiences, and Peter knew that if Jesus commanded Peter to walk on water, if Jesus would call Peter out and say, walk on the water, he knew that Jesus had the ability to do that. And so he challenges Jesus and says, call me out on the water, because if you command it, it will happen. And so Peter says, Jesus, I've seen what you've done. I know what you're capable of. Command me to step out on water because I know if you are the one saying it, it will happen. Because I've seen it and I've experienced it. And there are times in our lives when Jesus has something to say to us. There's something that seems to be too challenging, something so impossible we can't possibly live it out. And that he might as well be calling us to walk on water because that thing, man, I might as well just go walk across a lake. There's no way I can get rid of that bitterness and rage. There is no way that I can get sober. There is no way that I can forgive him. There's no way I can love her. There is no way I can serve them. There's no way that I can change. Those things are walking on water because I'm looking at my own strength and not the strength of the Son of God who calls me out. There's Jesus walking on water, stepping out calling us to join him. Oswald Chambers says, Beware of worshiping Jesus as the Son of God and professing your faith in him as Savior of the world while you blasphemy him by the complete evidence in your daily life that he is powerless to do anything in and through you. What is he saying there? That if you claim that Jesus is the Son of God, if you profess your faith in Him as Savior, then your life better show the evidence of His power working through you. Because we walk out and live lives that are not evidence of the power of God. 
We walk out our lives as evidence of the power of my own abilities. And if we're going to claim him as the Son of God, if we're going to claim him as, as everything that we say he is, if we really believe that, what steps do we take in our lives? Does he have the power of the Son of God? Or is he impotent of everything, of any strength? So we come to this story of Jesus and Peter and confidently stepping out in faith into what God is calling us to do. And so I think there's three categories of people as we listen to this. And as we enter into our prayer time, reflect, which of these do you sit in? Which of these places are you in? Some of us are in the boat, and there's some distance between us and Jesus. And he is calling us to step out in regard to some practical matter in our lives. It could be some sort of sin that he wants to correct and he wants to be king over. It can be some kind of action, some kind of behavior, some sort of attitude, but we're in the boat and we see Jesus and Jesus is taking us to take a step of faith. And so what if today you took a step out of that boat and made the decision to believe that he will empower you to do whatever he's called you to do. If he has called you to step out of the boat against some sort of addiction, if he's called you to step out of the boat in some sort of behavior, in some sort of attitude, in some sort of bitterness, in some sort of grudge or unforgiveness, he's called you to step out of the boat in that. And you're sitting in the boat looking at Jesus and you are questioning whether or not you believe that he will empower you to do what he's called you to do. Take a step out. Because he's empowered you to do it. Or maybe you've gotten out of the boat and you've taken these steps and you were experiencing some sort of victory or freedom over some sort of matter and, and you're out of the boat and you're, you're in the water and you see Jesus and you're walking there and then you turn away and you start sinking You've lost focus. You don't see Jesus anymore. You see yourself. You see the storms around you, and you've got that sinking feeling. Will you look to him again? Because he's still there. He didn't go anywhere when you turned to look the other way. Or maybe you're in a storm right now, and this storm just seems hopeless. This storm seems like it's not going to end. It's this major crisis. You're in this place. And so you find yourself in that place, and it's time to pray for the storm to calm. It's time to pray that things will be made right. But in the meantime, even if that storm continues to exist, the prayer is that you will be able to see Jesus in the storm. That regardless of the waves around you, regardless of the things that are crashing in around you, you're focusing in on Jesus, and you want to see Jesus like you've never seen him before that he will be revealed to you in ways that he has never been revealed. Let's be standing together. Think about those three places. Those three places. You're in the boat and Jesus is calling you out and you just need to take that step of faith. Or, or maybe you're out of the boat, but you're kind of sinking and you're reaching up and saying, I got to look back at Jesus. What are the things that you're in right now? What is the storm that you're in? What is the storm that you've come out of?
What testimony do you have to encourage somebody else who's in a storm? Because we get to read this story of the disciples and take great courage and great comfort from it. And God gives us these stories to be shared with others. How can you be an encouragement to others in the storms that they're in? And so we're going to spend some time in prayer. Whatever these places are that you're in, maybe you want to, to come forward and pray with one of the shepherds. Maybe you want to go across the room and encourage somebody who you know is in a storm and pray for them and encourage them and, and pray that they will be able to see Jesus in a way that they haven't before. So we're going to spend some time in prayer together as we, we pray and as we sing. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for, uh, we thank you for Jesus. God, he challenges us in some pretty incredible ways. God, I pray that we will see him clearer in whatever situation that we're in, that we will be bold and that we will be confident and we will be courageous knowing that you are the one who calls us out. You are the one who challenges us. You are the one who will empower us to do everything that you've called us to do. And so, God, we step out of the boat confidently looking at your son and who he is. It's in his name we pray. Amen.